0: Well, chances are you know what that theme is. Hello, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Marano. The Tonight Show has been around a while. It's had a lot of different hosts. Jack Parr, Steve Allen, Conan O'Brien, Jay Leno. Uh, You got Jimmy Fallon now. But when you hear that theme song, it just stirs memories of three decades of late-night television dominance by... Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson, um, an unparalleled entertainer, an unparalleled broadcaster, not only for his ratings dominance, not only for the fact that he had something of a monopoly uh, on the late night rating success that NBC pioneered in the uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s, but because there was just something about Johnny Carson that inspired everybody else that came after him well somebody who spends a great deal of time thinking about johnny carson talking about johnny carson and researching johnny carson is mark malkoff he's a comedian a writer a filmmaker and the host of the carson podcast and he happens to be one of the most interesting people that i've ever met chances are you've seen him somewhere along the line mark thanks so much for joining me on the radio frank it's good to talk to you it's great to talk with you. Now, that that song that we just played, Johnny's Theme, I have played an Annette Funicello version of that song where uh, it has the same sort of music but different lyrics. Tell us the story of that song, if you know anything about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Paul Anka was the one that, that wrote that song, and he was smart enough to, um, he ran into Carson. He kind of knew him. And said, um, what about a theme song? Uh, I, I think I have something. And Carson did very, very little um, with that theme, though he gets um, a, a half credit next to Paul Anka. But Paul Anka told me when I got together w- with him in California, he, he told me I would rather have half of something than, you know, zero of, of nothing. And he told me that, it, it you know, the, the royalties, I mean, it sends all his kids to school, its homes and stuff, I think. so. Yeah, he was—he was a smart businessman, but yeah, that—that—that that, that theme song just it really still endures.
0: So, it, Paul Anka gave Johnny Carson a credit for co-writing the song, even though Johnny didn't have anything to do with writing the song.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, maybe he's like take like this note out right here, but <laughs> he it, nothing. I mean, it, it was one of those things where, um, I mean, Carson and Ed McMahon—they thought. They didn't think the show was going to go that long. I mean, Ed McMahon privately thought it was going to last maybe 12 weeks. I mean, there were so many people in in the media at the time that didn't think Carson was going to be able to do it. He's a game show host. Jack Parr was like the biggest thing in, in, in late night. So, I mean, Carson was a good businessman just to, to – to, and I would say maybe more lucky that he got his name on that thing because – I mean, they just – not a lot of people had faith in him. I mean, it was – even after, like, the first year, there was so many talks all over the newspaper about NBC wanting to replace him, and yeah, it it took him a while until he really got the power, and then NBC started really working for him. I mean, it was – Yeah, he could do whatever he wanted,
0: basically. Those of us that came of age when Johnny Carson was already dominant, it's difficult for us to imagine a time where Johnny Carson wasn't considered sort of a king of late night. But describe that situation. Uh, There had been some uncertainty about the future of the Tonight Show franchise after Jack Parr. They had done some different things. Some things worked well, some things not so well. And then Johnny Carson comes in. How did he get selected as the host of The Tonight Show, and uh, why were some people not so sure that he was going to be successful?
1: There was this guy at NBC, Dave Tebbets, who's famous TV guy, Saturday Night Live, and all these shows, and he, he saw Johnny perform, and of course he was the host of on 46th Street of Who Do You Trust, which is a game show out of what is now the Helen Hayes Theater, and there was just something about him. I mean, that was... Him and there was somebody else high up in the network that just thought he could do it because – and Carson turned the job down flat. I mean, his wife had to to really talk him into this, like, who's going to replace Jack Parr? I mean, that's – whoever has that job is in such trouble because Parr was – so loved, and you know they had uh, six weeks. ABC held him to a contract. He couldn't, or six months rather, he couldn't host for six months leading up to his October debut. So they had all these guest hosts. I mean, Jerry Lewis. They had um, Merv Griffin was actually really, really good. And there was talk internally of just canceling Carson and going with Merv. I mean, and it is one of those things when people see somebody as something. It's, it's you know, He's a game show host. Mm, mm. Um, doing something a little, it takes the public a little time. Like when Jon Stewart took over The Daily Show, it, it took him a year and a half. I mean, everyone was like, who is, this? we want Craig Killboard. And the public, it normally does not like change. But Carson was just so charming and figured out his way really quickly um, that the public really did take to him right away. But there was just, there was definitely – with the network and stuff, I think that there was just some questions and stuff if this was going to work. But by – I would say like two years in or whatever, NBC um, knew that they had a superstar, and uh, Carson, as slowly as those years in New York um, went by, he got more power. I mean he, they gave him like this really small closet of a dressing room. It was disgusting. I mean they they basically – did whatever they wanted, and Carson had no leverage. But after a couple of years, he had all the leverage, and NBC was essentially working for him. I mean, he got control of the show back in 1980. He owned every – the entire show. And it was just one of those things where whenever <laughs> Carson would um, maybe – I know it happened in the 60s, and I know it happened in the 70s, that he wasn't sure if he wanted to continue with the show. NBC was on eggshells because, like, who – is going to replace. I mean, the likability factor sure. on that on Carson, it was out the roof. I mean, the the one thing people do not remember is when his his show was in New York, especially, they got lots of uh, hate mail and a lot of just complaints that he was vulgar. They would write into the, the newspapers, their editorials and stuff, and just like, people thought he was dirty. He, he 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 was having controversial people on that show at the time, like the head of The ACLU, the head of the NRA, he was uh, putting some of the most famous, notorious atheists at the time, what's her name, Madeline Murray O'Hare. I mean, he was putting the most, you would never see people like that on the Tonight Show or any of the other late night shows. Um, Yet he was, he definitely pushed the envelope. And then when he moved to Burbank, still, I mean, it seemed like that guy had to apologize every month for something. I mean, but people just remember him uh, today as this, you know, everyone loved him and there was no controversy with him at all, but that was not the case.
0: It it is interesting. They still show Episodes of the Johnny Carson version of The Tonight Show on Antenna TV I watch it regularly and I I have to be honest even the episodes that are 30 40 years old a lot of the material still holds up uh, to this day in your view and as someone who has studied this probably more closely than anybody why did Johnny work at the time and why does he still withstand the test of time?
1: Yeah, after talking to over 350 people that knew him that were on the show, um, his staff, his fr- friends, I, I I just think that the reason that he stayed around all those time, all of those years, was two reasons. One, like ability. and two, I really think it helped him coming from Nebraska. And he never, he had the Midwest. He really, he'd always say, and I've heard other uh, people say this too, talk shows. You have to play to the Midwest, or else you're in trouble. And he could play to the cities, fine. But if you notice, he was not wearing designer suits when he get out. Actually, the newer columnist would make fun of him for his attire. And he just was able to, um, and that was a genuine thing, come off, even though he was making, a re- I don't want to say a ridiculous amount of money, but they, he was making um, so much money that the press would report on it and stuff. But he was still able um, in the public's consciousness to come off as this regular guy. And, I mean, he, he – essentially was. I mean, he went in Burbank for a bunch of years. He would bring a, a brown paper lunch. I mean, he, he just was, they had so many more interests like astronomy and, and, and other things outside show business and anybody that their life was all about show business, like Jerry Lewis or Bob Hope, he looked down upon. I mean, he just, he just thought that was just not the way to, to, to live. So he had this other life um, outside of, of entertainment, but the tonight show, was the thing he put all his energy into. I mean, that, that he was doing that hour and 45 minutes at first, for the first couple of years at um, Studio 6B at Rockefeller Center, which is now Jimmy Fallon's studio. And then he protested, then it went down to 90 minutes. But think about that. Until 1980, he was doing a 90-minute show. I mean, it's, if you talk to any of the current late-night shows, that, that that job is so hard. I mean, it's it's one of the hardest things, but Carson was able to do it. But, I mean, he said once David Brenner got his talk show canceled and came on Carson, and David Brenner's like, I, you know, that was a hard thing. And Carson, uh, he said he didn't know how hard, and Carson's like, it's murder. Don't mm. do it, telling people. <laughs> that was one of the rare times he acknowledged how hard it was. But all of this competition that would, would uh, fail, they'd call him up like um, – It'd be like, I didn't know it was that hard. and Yeah. He kind of got, got a kick out of that because I, I think like when somebody like Letterman or somebody that's there all the time, makes it look so easy. It's like people watching golf when Tiger Woods is golfing and be like, I could probably do that. And then the answer is no, you could not. It, it, yeah, yeah, no,
0: you said it. I, I think you nailed it. I mean, uh, he made it look effortless in spite of all the effort that clearly went uh, went into doing it. it. Why? Tell me about if people just tune in. We're talking with Mark Malkoff. He's a comedian, a writer, a filmmaker, and the host of a, a terrific podcast exploring Johnny Carson and Johnny Carson's tenure as the host of The Tonight Show. It's called The Carson Podcast. You can find it anywhere podcasts are available or just go to CarsonPodcast.com. Why did you choose to start this Carson podcast? You've done hundreds of episodes. You've talked to just about everybody that's still alive and even a lot of folks that are no longer with us who had anything to do with Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show. What motivated you here to start doing this podcast?
1: I would say a bunch of reasons. First of all, there was just something i was raised on entertainment from when i was five like i knew the cast of it's a mad 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 world i knew jonathan winters like peter sellers from when i was a kid and like how, my dad how did me you get Tonight to know show. peter
0: sellers and jonathan winters as a child they would show me um, dad, my
1: dad would show me tapes of the pink panther of, of, of uh oh you knew of, them as
0: personalities you didn't
1: know them oh personally. i didn't know them as people i, I wish i was you. in the suburbs and knew nobody in show business and Anybody that was famous was like not a like a real person to me. I mean, it was three channels and maybe a, like an affiliate of the channel, but no, just I was growing. I was raised on good comedy. Carson was so likable. I didn't get the politics, but you know, when I was seven or eight, but like he was just so good with the animals, with the kids, with A-listers, and it was just like this fun party. But the the thing that I just really shocked me is for somebody that famous, who Steve Martin. Said something who was like the most recognizable and um, uh, most famous person in America for whatever the years. There was so little written about him. I mean, his friends were loyal. He didn't really talk too much about himself, and it was this thing where it was a mystery. And it really was. I mean, there were a couple of tawdry books written about him, um, just kind of like person, like that the personal side. But in terms of like what went on behind the scenes of the Tonight Show and just Carson as a historical figure. I was just curious and I I just had questions. And I thought I was going to do this podcast that might last a month or two. But, you know, sometimes when somebody sets out to do something with no agenda, especially, the, the sea is just part of it. I mean, I had no idea that so many famous people would want to talk about Carson. I mean, I compare it to somebody. Who, who had this amazing college experience and looks at it so fondly, but doesn't really have a chance to talk about it much with, especially with someone that cares. So, I mean, they were thanking me. They couldn't believe it. And a lot of times in interviews, you get these people that would just maybe, I don't know, they like a minute or two about Carson, but I was doing an hour, just two hours just based on their um, entire, all their Carson appearances and people would cry to me, their eyes, and if they didn't remember, when I would say something, they didn't remember. It was just like the look on their faces. I mean, um, it, it meant a lot to me. And I just, I had no idea because he'd been retired for so long that there would be a listenership that people liked Carson as much as me. I had never met any, I've met people that are, oh, I like Carson, but like not to the extent of the people that listen to the show. People just miss him, you know? I mean, he, he, he's, he was one of those people, like you mentioned, if you go to his YouTube channel and look at the videos, a lot of that stuff, I'd say the majority is just as funny as it was 30 years ago, and that is extremely hard to
0: do. Oh, yeah, especially for a show where the monologue is ostensibly about current events, to still be funny 30, 40 years later, it really shows you what an incredible talent he had and uh, how well produced uh, the show was. So, needless to say, you're not in danger of running out of. Guests for the Carson podcast anytime soon?
1: You know, it's hard to say. The, hard, the The most difficult thing is they they're older people. I mean, I've had dozens of my um, of guests over the last eight years pass away. It's so sad. Bob Saget, Louis Anderson, um, older people like Ed Asner, Peter Bogdanovich. So, I mean, the people that were kids when they did the show, like Jason Bateman, was like you know a kid, are now you know, full 50. So, I mean, that's one thing that's a little hard. Um, But other than that, I don't know how long I'm going to keep doing it. I had no idea this would happen. I mean, I I think today was our 371st episode. And um, just to hear from people that knew the guy and um, just my peers in entertainment and all the other late night shows was such a, a thrill to me personally. And the fact that people have just opened up. I think the thing was, is that because his friends and staff never talked. They knew I had no agenda. Like, I'm not asking gotcha questions at all. Um, I'm, my, I go out just to make my, make my guests look good like Carson did. I mean, that was why people loved him. It was just so disarming when people would come out and be so nervous. That there's something calming about the guy. And he would really listen. Like, oh, I, I'm not going to n- mention certain people. Uh, well, I will. Jay Leno. He was always <laughs> trying to come up. With the, <laughs> he was always trying to come up with the funnier line to be funnier than the guest, and not really listen as much as when Carson was genuinely listening. And he was totally fine with the per- the guest shining. I mean, he the first half hour was him doing you know sketches, desk pieces, monologue, and then at the rest the rest was him making the guests look good, which is, that skill set is extremely, extremely hard. Uh,
0: that That is for sure. Uh, you've become, uh, I mean, you were well known, even notwithstanding this Carson podcast, but you've become something of a star uh, with your specialization in Johnny Carson and late-night television in general. I caught you in the uh, CNN late-night documentary series. I thought you came across great. I enjoyed many of the episodes. Towards the end, it sort of went in a, a direction that I, I wasn't necessarily expecting and i i didn't necessarily love but uh, I, tell me about your experience with this uh, cnn late night series behind the desk how did that come to be and how did you find that whole experience
1: there were 99 people interviewed i mean so many famous big names somehow i was no there jay leno though first. i noticed he wasn't in it uh, jay i'm just gonna i'll tell you uh, Jay canceled an hour before he agreed to be interviewed. and had everything set up, and he called an hour before. Wow! And canceled. I mean, I mean, what, there's, was there's he afraid many...
0: that they that they were going to ask him about the whole Letterman drama?
1: I think he doesn't want to talk about that. I don't think he wants to talk about his manager Helen Kushnick and him politicking at all the affiliates. Um, I think um, also like. Dave Letterman show had so many famous moments and Leno's show. I mean, Hugh Grant stands out and a few others, but not many. And I don't know. I I mean, I think that that's probably why. But, I mean, they got amazing people. Somehow I was the very first person they filmed with. They started here in New York. And I sat down with them. And um, it's, again, one of those things where I'm like, am I going to get cut out? Who knows anything? But they were very nice to feature me as the Carson expert. I helped them out a bunch um, w- w- with with uh, with the docu series, and it is like some of the Carson staff was not thrilled with the docu series because it's like, I mean, how can you fit Johnny Carson into even one episode, right? It's the history of late night in six hours or even less. So I mean, I thought they did a good job with the Carson stuff, but I mean, it, it was hard to kind of cram everything. I mean, they really focused more than anything on the stand-ups the talent that came out mm. of the stand-ups but carson was so much more oh, yeah. There there's just so much more depth that they couldn't get into but in terms of launching careers i mean seinfeld still says it was the big, the greatest um number one moment of his career by far i mean he had the most successful sitcom of all time but so many of those people like kevin neal and saturday night live for nine years and just the biggest uh, moment in his career it was a show business it was doing Carson. I mean, just going back to, uh, you know, David Letterman, Joan Rivers, I mean, he goes on and on to people that were in their lives going on that show. It's it's so extraordinary. And i um, just talking to the people. I see them reliving it um, before me, which is uh, kind of special.
0: Do you watch any late night television these days? I do. I mean, I catch clips. I mean, I definitely think,
1: um, well, my old boss, Stephen Colbert, I mean, the nicest guy. I don't really watch his show too much. I mean, the politics stuff, at the end of the day, I just want something that's a more light. But, I mean, he's a really nice guy. He's so successful on there. Um, Jimmy Kimmel reminds me of Letterman. So, I mean, I do like some of his stuff. I'll catch it here and there. And I think Fallon is underrated. I mean, I think Fallon is a talent like you know songs impressions and stuff and and also likability um i think he's underrated i think that there's a good chance that he's going to come back i really really do i mean it's hard when you're number two but everyone thought that leno was done um that letterman letterman was the biggest thing in television for the first two years and leno was getting his butt kicked and he he came back and just proved everyone wrong and i think i wouldn't be surprised and i think jimmy uh fallon can do that it's just it takes time and it definitely takes trying out some new things like Leno tried out some new things and just outworking the person. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's different, right? Late Night is just – it's such a different um, outlet um, than when Carson w- was there. But I definitely think people like Seth Myers, who I catch once in a while, is a really good listener um, and definitely is more of a conversationalist. Um, than some of the people Um, but I think that they all have different strengths and everything's so fragmented I Mm. think I mean there's no way back in the day that somebody like Colbert could be like a host that could exist on late night and be successful and take sides I mean it just I mean Carson had his personal views I mean he was liberal against Vietnam hated or despised Richard Nixon but he just didn't think anybody at the end of the going to bed at the end of the day wanted anything too heavy. I mean, he yeah. no, made I mean, fun I... of the politicians, and he'd be great um, ske- skewering the politicians and stuff. And but. Um, he just, his whole philosophy was, let's just entertain
0: them. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's uh, the kind of thing that uh, frustrates a lot of people who are looking for entertainment options these days. It seems like everything has become just so, so political. My last question about Johnny, and then I want to ask you about one or two of the other things that you're up to, is oh, sure, whatever. Um, the, you know, when Johnny signed off, he did this farewell where he said, you know, I hope uh, if I ever find something that I want to do in the future, you'll welcome me into your home again. I'm paraphrasing. And so it has come to this. I uh, am one of the lucky people in the world. I found something I always wanted to do and I have enjoyed every single minute of it. I want to thank
1: the gentleman who've shared this stage with me for 30 years,
0: Mr. Ed McMahon, (laughs) Mr. Doc Severinsen. You people watching, I can only tell you that it has been an honor
1: and a privilege to come into your homes all these years and entertain you. And I hope when I find something that I want to do and I think you will like and come back that you'll be as gracious inviting me into your home as you have been. I bid you a very heartfelt good night.
0: why didn't he do anything after he retired from the tonight show he was still a relatively young man still had incredible name recognition and as we saw in that the fact that he was uh, writing jokes for david letterman secretly for many years he still had a desire to uh, use his hu- sense of humor and entertain why didn't he end up doing anything after he stepped aside
1: you know he would take me and people would come to ideas and st- with ideas for him and it was just one of those things. though. I mean, how Carson was like, how do I top what I've done already? You've noticed Ray Romano and Seinfeld have not done a, a, an additional sitcoms. It's like, it's, it's like Carson was like, you know, I I, 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 did it. And then also, the fact is, I mean, he just thought that Bob Hope and Jack Benny and some of the older comedians stayed away. They were just, they stayed around too long. He was 66 when he left, and. Saturday Night Live had a big impact on him um, just feeling like it was the time to leave because they were doing these sketches with Dana Carvey playing Carson written by Robert Smigel, and they, they made Carson kind of look like, you know, behind the times and just out of it. And they really, I mean, the one sketch that they actually did like, which in the, the CNN doc, it kind of is uh, the, the way that it's put together uh, seems the opposite of it, but Car- uh, the Carcinio sketch where it was Dana Carvey playing Johnny Carson as this Arsenio-type audience and show. Carson thought that was funny, actually, that it was kind of making fun of Arsenio. But, um, I mean, it was just – it got to the point where I know that Dana Carvey said a bunch of times that – Lano told him he'd be walking down the hall and hear Carson say if they're going to make fun of me and it's time to leave. So,
0: You know, in a non-Carson vein, I finally got around to seeing this documentary, the Bill Murray stories, Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man, and lo and behold, I can't get away from you, you're in that documentary as well. Uh, I thought I knew a great deal about you, and lo and behold, you did this whole series of webisodes trying to get Bill Murray to have dinner with you. Uh, As it stands now, it's Four years after that documentary came out. Have you yet had dinner with Bill Murray? No, but it's
1: going to happen. I'm sure. I really do believe it's going to happen. I mean, when I started this, I found out after a month or two, I was doing it all wrong. I was doing this web show and I'd called Bill Murray's 1 800 number, which is really hard to get. Somebody gave it to me and said, I can't, you know, I can't give it out. So I'd leave messages for Murray. And it was one of those things like even his friends had trouble reaching him. So I knew that that was going to be, um, a, t- a tough thing getting um, a hold. But the thing that is, is Murray's an improviser from Chicago, Second City. And the whole thing with improvising is saying yes and in the moment. Like if there's an opportunity that comes up. Like he's just walking down the street, and I heard in Chicago, break dancers were like, Bill, join us. And he said yes and if it's something positive and something that could be fun just in the moment. Um, he's very known for doing that, but I, I kind of like was tr- planning like let's land dinner which is the, which was not the way to go about it. but um, I still think that's gonna happen. I mean I've, I, I know some people that know him. I haven't really pursued it and stuff, but I, if it does happen and I think it will, it's gonna happen organically like I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I have not given up.
0: Well, I uh, wish you the best of luck. Uh, That should certainly be some dinner. Now, for people that don't know about your history, you've done a lot of things that have gotten a great deal of attention. You lived in an Ikea, you lived and slept in an Ikea store in Paramus, New Jersey for an entire week. Uh, You uh, did a web series where you stayed on an AirTran airplane for an entire month in order to get over your fear of uh, flying. And again, people can check out some of these terrific videos on your website or on YouTube. Uh, They could search on YouTube Mark Malkoff or they can go to uh, markmalkoff.com. when you do one of these uh, videos, and you've done many more than I can list here, is that um, how do those come about? Do they come about you thinking what's something creative and fun that I could do? Does it come about uh, a brand reaches out to you and say, "Can we do this?" Or do you think what's going to generate the most amount of of publicity and the most amount of eyeballs? How do these videos that you do generally come about? What's the inspiration process oh, go?
1: it's all curiosity it was like what well, would it like to be living in ikea i knew that people a lot of people would feel like when they were kids like what is it like to live in a store and i thought the video content would be incredible and it took me a bunch of months to convince ikea but they met with me <laughs> and they they told me afterwards i mean it was the media coverage was I've, i mean it was worldwide they told me it got more publicity in the united states in the history of the company at the time and it was one of those things where I just was like I had, to, had no idea that that was going to happen. And then I, I was afraid of flying, and I came up with this idea to stay on an airplane for 30 days for an entire month to get over my fear of flying. And um, I was going to reach out to Richard Branson. I thought that was a good fit. And then somebody I know was in a pitch meeting and mentioned, um, mentioned me because they were trying to get promote their go-go Wi-Fi. It was like the first Wi-Fi on commercial airplanes and and um, they're like, why don't we get the guy who lives in Ikea to live on this? And my friend's like, I know him. And I got on the phone with him, and they're like, would you be willing to do a week? I'm like, I want it to be a month. And I'm like, good, because we wanted a month. We were afraid to ask you for a month. And I told him, I've like, all the video ideas, let's do this thing. So I had to go down to Atlanta, FBI background check, take all these tests. And I, it was very surreal. I mean, I was allowed in Atlanta on the tarmac just to walk around. I had a license where I could just take my sleeping bag and my roller suitcase and just walk around the tarmac unaccompanied and people <laughs> would be like, um, let me see your site of badge or your badge. And I'd show them. And then I'd have the right to ask to see their badge, which I would do just, um, out of humor, because I just was, it was so fish out of water, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I set a Guinness World Record. I didn't know that was going to happen. I think it was like 160-some slides or 50. I don't remember. But it's curiosity. You know, it was like, is it possible to go to every single Starbucks in Manhattan, all 171, in less than 24 hours, make a purchase and consume something? It's just premises like that. Like I noticed also in New York City that the, the Apple store people were just doing strange things but had never been documented. And I wanted to see If I just did all these bizarre things, if they would let me in, they did. I brought a goat into the (laughs) Apple store, Lincoln center on. um, And I just was like, kind of nervous. My wife, especially was like feeling sick to her stomach. We're going to get in trouble, but we, we had a goat handler and we brought the goat in and it was totally fine. I mean, that was my whole premise is like, I was trying to do these outrageous things. And every time, they were cool with it, and that video blew up. I mean, it got over a million views I, and a lot of media coverage. But it's, it's all curiosity. I mean, wild. brands would come to me and ask me to do videos, um, and I would do that. those. Um, sometimes they I would really um, you know be into them. Like Skype came in to um, ask me to do for their 10th anniversary a video where I talked to as many people on Skype, as many countries as possible. And that was up my alley, and I love talking to people. So I think 161 countries – it was something like that. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was one of the hardest things ever just in terms of the coordination and finding somebody in each country to do it. But that like, especially cause like people will be like, you can't, there's no way you can do this or this is impossible. I, I hear that. And that stuff just, it drives me more. I mean, I, I, I just hear from like, people that don't know me well, will be like, well, that's highly unlikely. The people that know me well and how I'm wired, they didn't, they never say that, but it, it definitely, that stuff drives me to make this stuff happen. It's, and, you know, with Skype, I could have gotten, like, 50 countries or 40, but I'm like, that's not we're not doing <laughs> that. We're going all out. And and then, a, as
0: I said, mm-hmm. Mark, you, you continually you continually impress me and amaze me. You're certainly one of the most Im- impressive and unique individuals I've ever met. I look forward to having you in studio sometime soon. Best of luck with everything you're doing.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Frank. You're so good at what you do. I mean, as a broadcaster, for, for sure, and I'm honored to talk to you. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Well, uh, Mark Malkoff, if you're interested in Johnny Carson, you're going to love the Carson podcast. If you're interested in having a giggle about any of the things that Mark uh, has just referenced, find him on YouTube or go to his website, markmalkoff.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead.